So we're going to be in Matthew 14, verse 13 through 21. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to them and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, I listened to Thomas's sermon last week. It was, it was fantastic. John the Baptist, what an interesting, what an interesting, the cousin of Jesus, what an interesting person to study. And of course, uh, you know, Thomas in his sermon last week, if you, if you weren't here, John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, he was this great prophet. And the end of last week's text talks about the disciples of John telling Jesus that John had been beheaded. So we pick up, it says, when Jesus heard this, right? Well, what is this? This is your cousin's died. Your partner in ministry has died. And he didn't just die. He died in the worst way. I mean, there are tragic deaths. And probably most of you, if you've lost a good friend, uh, young in life, and Jesus was young too, he's pretty young, he's 30 or so years old, 30 couple years old, I mean, not much older than probably most of you. When a 31, two, three-year-old dies, it's usually a tragedy, right? They die in a car accident. They, you know, they develop some really bad disease that the 30-something-year-old shouldn't get. But this was worse. I mean, this is, John died because he was lynched. He was unlawfully killed. He, he spoke out against the officials. And in this horrible, weird, gross, I mean, Thomas used this like Jeffrey Epstein kind of party way. They brought his head out on a platter, this horrible culture of death. And that's what Jesus heard. When he heard this, he withdrew to be in a desolate place by himself. You know, think about this. What a moment. Now, in, in some senses, this was a big moment because it was a great moment of sadness. It was also a moment of passing off. Um, that's actually a theme in the Bible, and this is a key moment in the life of Jesus. If you, if you study the Old Testament you'll realize that you start to see all the same kinds of things in the life of Jesus, just kind of in a little bit of a different way. So think about um, the people of Israel spending 40 days in the wilderness, or 40 years, right, in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. Think about the birth of Jesus. Do you remember the birth of Jesus that Herod killed all of the babies? 
Well, think about Moses. When Moses was born, Pharaoh killed all of the babies. There's all these like echoes that you see, the temptation even of Christ. It's actually kind of similar to the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. Another theme that you see throughout the Old Testament is the theme of a passing off, right? You have Abraham to Isaac. You have, you know, uh, Moses to Joshua. Um, You have this, this passing off, Elijah to Elisha. You have this passing off theme all throughout the Old Testament. And in a sense, this is happening here I mean, at this time, John actually had a wider and more influential ministry than Jesus, and they were working together. They were both preaching the kingdom. They were both preaching repentance. And here, Jesus' partner in ministry is gone. His cousin, who he loved, and 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 he dies again in the most gross and horrible and sad and strange and depressing way. And Jesus withdraws to be by himself. Now, you know, we can to some degree identify with this. You know, maybe you never had anything like that happen, but you've had something happen. You've had sorrows. You've had those moments where you just want to get away. You know what I'm talking about? You just want to be by yourself. There's a lot on your mind. I mean, the full ministry of their ministry was upon Jesus now. And you just want to be sad. And, you know, there's actually something good to that. You know, I've... I don't think I've talked here before about my breakup mixes. And, um, you know, I've always said, like, the worst thing about getting married is that you can't enjoy breakup music like you used to. <laughs> but you still kind of can't, you know. And, and there'll be moments where just something hits me, something, I get a disappointment, I have something bad happen. Uh, you know, I, I lose somebody I care about. And I'll just, I just want to go be myself, by myself, and listen to sad music. And, uh, and that's what I'll do. And, um, you know, back when I was dating, I would do this. And I would, you know, wear sweatpants and just go full sad, you know. <laughs> I would just go all in with it. And it actually helps me. It actually helped me get over it. So here's Jesus. And I love this. I love that he, like, so identifies. I mean, you can so, if you're not super familiar with Jesus and, you know, you've only, like, seen pictures of Jesus and he looks so stoic. I, I want you to hear how close and real he is, uh, how real of the emotions that he had were. He went to a desolate place by himself, but he wasn't able to stay there long because the crowds. <laughs> when we read on, when the crowds heard it, they, uh, oh, I, I uh, uh, yeah, when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot. And uh, they followed him on foot from the towns. And he says, when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd. And I love this. So he's, he's in this, I mean, if there's one like time in Jesus' life where he could be a little selfish, this is it. But he says he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Now, I think what's happening here is Jesus is in pain. And what's, what's happening? People that are in pain are coming to him. And he knows their pain. He's compassionate. And this brings me to my first point. You know, God has a way of using your pain. God has a way of using your pain. Jesus, in his own pain, he sees this crowd. I mean, think about this. He's in his own pain. He's mourning the death of his cousin. He's, he's feeling the weight of this ministry being put on him. He's, he's mourning all this horrible tragedy that's happened. And yet, he, he, he doesn't just see himself. Actually, his pain 
I want you to hear this. His pain, his pain helps him to see their pain. He sees this crowd. It's full of sick people, wounded people, poor people, needy people. And he sees them coming and he loves them. And again, I want you to hear this about our Lord. He's totally above us. I mean, Jesus is the creator of the whole universe. Yet, he totally identifies with us. The author of Hebrews says, we do not have a priest. He's talking about Jesus. We do not have a high priest that cannot identify with us. But we have one that can identify with us in every way. Jesus can identify with you in every way. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. And I want you to hear that. Jesus sympathizes with you. And God has this way of using your pain. John Piper, he's he's a famous preacher, and he He's written a lot of books, <clears throat> and he wrote a little book, and it wasn't like one of his most popular books, but it was, it was a powerful book. He wrote a little book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Some of y'all may have uh, heard of the book Don't Waste Your Life, but this one's Don't Waste Your Cancer, and it's basically a sermon. It's like a bookette. It's very little, but the book, um, he actually wrote it on the eve of his own prostate cancer surgery. He had gotten prostate cancer and he was waiting to have his prostate removed and he wrote this little book. It was really like a little sermon and I think it's 10 or 11 thoughts about how to not waste this cancer, about how the Lord can use this hardship and tragedy and sadness in his life for the sake of his kingdom. And here's the deal. When tragedy strikes, when sadness strikes, when sorrow strikes you, listen to this. Please hear me, young adults. If you'll learn to look away from yourself and toward the Lord, when you're in the midst of tragedy, I mean, let's just be honest. When I'm uncomfortable, when I'm sad, my instinct, it's all about the Jason show, right? You know, it's easy to serve others when you're in an abundant, you're overflowing, you know? It's like, everything's great. I'm gonna go, oh, I've got a little extra. Here you go, la-da-da. But when, when you're wounded, when you're sad, when you're sore, it, it's, very, it's very easy to get incredibly self-focused. And here's what I want you to hear. If in that moment of sorrow and sadness, you'll, you'll look away from yourself and you'll look toward God, And you realize that Jesus even identifies with you in that. God has this amazing way of even redeeming your cancer. And even using the hardest and worst things in your life. And using you through those pains, through those sorrows. You know, there's a a person in our church that's dealing with some depression, anxiety right now in a very deep way. And I've been amazed at some other members of our church and how they've been able to minister to this person. And here's the deal. These other members, one of them, his daughter, went through this deep bout of anxiety and depression, and he felt helpless as a dad. I mean, I'm a dad. Will's about to be a bit dad. But when your kid, I mean, he almost would rather you be hurt, right? When you're child is hurt, when your child is wounded. I mean, it's so helpless. It's so frustrating. So one of them had to deal with that. And, and, and I watched him deal with that. I've been friends with this person a long time. I watched him deal with that. And now I'm watching him minister to this other person out of his own pain. 
out of his own hardship. Another one of the people's ministry in this person himself went through great depression and great anxiety. It's been about that he struggled with for 30 years of his life. And yet, I'm watching these two guys minister to this other guy in the most beautiful and life-giving and wonderful way. And here's the deal. You know, praise God. I mean, I've had some blue seasons, but I've never dealt truly with depression or anxiety in a way that I, I'm not able to. I don't have that resource. I don't have that shared wound. And, and I love the Lord is just using his church to minister to his church from this place of pain. God has a way of using your pain when we are faithful to him, when we, when we, when we look away from ourselves and, and, and we look toward him. We also see in this, and I love this, the love that Jesus has for his people. Look at 15 with me. It was evening, and the disciples came and they said, look, Lord, I mean, you know, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus is like, I know. I was trying to get away from everybody. They said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away. Tell them to go to the village. We're all tired, right? And, get, and tell them to buy food for themselves. But I was 16. But Jesus says, no. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. I love this. Jesus is ministering to these people. And, 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 and what I see in this is the love that Jesus has for these people that he's ministering to. He loves them. He loves them. He has great compassion for them. And he's providing for them in this most wonderful way. The disciples say, let's send them away. Jesus says, no, they don't need to go away. I'm not through with them yet. I love them. Don't you see? I love them. There's an old John Newton hymn called, it's, it, the name of the hymn is, Come my soul, thy suit prepare. Now the word suit is not like dress suit. It's not saying put on your suit and go to the Lord. Some people still go like that, but um, it says, Come my Lord, thy suit prepare. And it's, it's suit like lawsuit, like lawsuit, like your plea, you know, your, your, your suit, your, your case. Bring your case to the Lord. And I love the lines. It says, come my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray. Therefore, he will not say thee nay, which means he will not say no. Thou art coming, I love this line, thou art coming to a king large petitions with thee bring for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. When you really start to understand the love that Jesus has for you, the love that he has proven for you on the cross, the love that he displays and the fact that he even came for us, humiliated himself and came to earth to love you, to save you, to restore you to God, which is what your soul most ultimately needs. When you really start to understand the love that Jesus has for you and that he's displayed for you, you'll start going to him like this. You're going to a king. <laughs> Large petitions you should bring. You can't ask it too much. Do you know how rich he is? Do you know how much power he has? Do you know how much he loves you? You ever think you're annoying the Lord with your prayers? You're not. You ever think you're asking too much from the Lord? You're not. 
You ever think that you're going to the Lord too often? You're not. You ever think your prayers are too bold? They're not. They may be wrong prayers. They may be selfish prayers. They may be stupid prayers. But the Lord loves to hear the prayers of his saints, the prayers of his people, because he loves his people. Don't send them away, he says. I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started with him. I'm showing them my love. He comes to them with compassion. Now, how, you should be asking, is the Lord so full of love? I mean, why is Jesus so full of love for you? I mean, what have we done? Why is he so full of love for us? And here's the answer. And which is, you know, Jonathan Edwards says it this way. He says that the Godhead is a fountain of love. You don't even realize who you're dealing with here. The Godhead is a fountain of love. There's endless love that exists between, you know, from father towards son. I mean, Jesus has been so loved for his, or by his father for all time. And there's endless love of the Holy Spirit toward Jesus. Jesus has been so loved by the Holy Spirit for all time. And there's so much love from Jesus to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit to the Father and Jesus the Father. There's, there's so much love in the Godhead. It's endless. It's like this endless supply of love. Don't you see? And it says the Godhead is a fountain of love. Jesus has been so loved by the Father for so long that his love, his, his never-ending fountain of love spills over toward his creation, toward those he's come to redeem Jesus is a fountain of love, and his love is on display here. Don't send him away. I'm just getting started with him. That's why he ultimately went to the cross for these people. That's why he ultimately was separated from his father who he loved, the greatest cost that he could give for these people. You know the story of the rich young ruler? And you all know that story? There's a, there's a rich man that comes to Jesus. This is in Mark 10. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know this story, right? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Then Jesus says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother, right? He said to him, teacher, (laughs) all these I've kept from my youth. And I love this part here. Now, before I read this, If you remember the story, if you've heard the story before, this is the rich young ruler. He ultimately rejects Jesus. He he ultimately walks away from Jesus. Skip over verse 21. Jesus says, you lack one thing, go go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And the man disheartened by this saying, went away. So this, this is a guy that didn't end up following Jesus because he had great possessions. But look at how Jesus approaches him. I love this. Jesus said, looking at him and loving him, he said to him, you lack one thing, go, go save this. I love that. And that's how Jesus comes to you. It doesn't mean you're going to respond to his love. <laughs> But Jesus looks at you tonight and he says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Follow me, follow me. Don't don't hang on to your possessions. Don't don't hang on to these smaller worldly things. He's looking at you and he's saying, I love you. He's a fountain of love. I think it's so interesting. A guy that doesn't even end up being a follower. Jesus looks at him and he loves him. 
I'm not done with these people, he says. You feed them. The disciples will go back up to our text. Now, he said this partly to test the disciples. You feed them, right? You give them something to eat. Of course, they're out in a desolate place. But the disciples really trust him, right? Do they really trust him? Do they really have the kind of faith that he requires, the kind of faith that pleases him? Will you go and feed them? And of course, this brings me to the third point, which is the provision of the Lord. How the Lord provides. Verse 17, it says, we only have five loaves and two fish. We only have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus will bring them here. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples then gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus provided. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Some people estimate this was about 20,000 people. Massive, massive, massive crowd. And in this passage, we learn a lot about the provision of the Lord. We learn a lot about the way that the Lord provides. Now, this, this miracle, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, was so stunning to the people. I mean, it was so stunning to the people. It's the only miracle, besides the resurrection, that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. All four of the Gospels talk about this. You're not gonna believe this. With five little pieces of bread and two fish, Jesus fed 20,000 people. Now, is the, is the story in there just to kind of shock and awe you, right? Is that why it's in the Bible? Because it's just kind of a big thing. I mean, maybe. I mean, it certainly is. But is something more going on in the story? Is something more instructive maybe happening in the story? And I think the answer is yes. I think that this story teaches us everything you need to know about the provision of God, how God actually provides, how God actually meets you, how we actually please God, how we actually come into a relationship with God. If you're here last Sunday, not two days ago Sunday, but like nine days ago Sunday, I preach from 1 Corinthians 1. It's an amazing passage. And it talks about the wisdom and the power of the cross and how different it is than everything else in this whole world. How the wisdom of the cross turns the wisdom of the world totally upside down. And we see this in this story. I mean, there's 20,000 people here, 5,000 men. There might have been more women. I mean, you know, if you don't think about Jesus, like usually there's a bunch of women following him. So there might have been 6,000 women and children. I mean, a lot of people estimate 20,000 people here. And then the disciples come up. I mean, you think about this. I mean, let's think about this actually here. I mean, what's 20,000? Is, um, is State Farm? What is State Farm? 20,000? State Farm Arena? 
the former Phillips Arena. What is it, 20,000? Anybody know where the Hawks play? Let's say it's 20,000, okay? Any of y'all been there? Any of y'all been to Phillips or State Farm or whatever it's called now? Um, you know, I mean, that's a lot of people. You walk around and it's like, man, this is an arena full of people. Jesus says, Let's, you feed them. You think about this. Feed all these people. And then think about the response. Okay, you got to think about this. The disciples come up to him (laughs) and they say, all we have is this. Now, if you don't think about this, I mean, it's kind of like, what is this, a joke? You know, I mean, is that even real? Are you serious? I mean, five loaves, I mean, these aren't even like, you know, you know, loaves, these are, these have been like loaves, you know, small loaves, five little loaves and two fish, one person's lunch, one person's lunch. All we have is this. Now, on one side, you think this is a joke. On the other side, you think maybe the disciples were starting to get it. Maybe they were starting to have this cross-shaped life. Maybe they were starting to understand what Jesus usually does. I mean, you see 20,000 people and you say, we need the mechanisms of an arena to feed these people. I have a really cool story. This is totally an aside. But, you know, us being millennials here mostly, we all have ADD, so you're good with an aside. But this is a great story. Um, You know, Page, this just shows you, this is actually kind of an example of what I'm talking about. It was the pandemic. And a lot of the people in Grove Park um, didn't have jobs. They lost their jobs because their jobs were in service. They were working at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They were working at places like that where there was concerts and events. And so Paige realizes they don't have jobs and so, or don't have ways to provide for themselves. And so she gets a lot of like these moms, like these buckhead moms, to start baking casseroles, okay? And they would take these casseroles down to Grove Park. It was amazing. And that's what they did, you know? And they would, you know, they wouldn't provide for many people. They provide for some people, right? Well, they start, this casserole email starts getting passed around. And someone at the Blank Foundation, Arthur Blank Foundation, reads the email. And Arthur Blank, I mean, to his good credit, okay, he may not be a good, you know, owner of the Falcons, but... But to his credit, to his credit, he actually, during COVID, had all the kitchens that are at Mercedes-Benz, because, I mean, there's a lot of kitchens in there. He had all of them start preparing meals, and they, they prepared thousands of meals for these people in Grove Park every single week. It was really amazing. So, but that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, we have to feed 20,000 people. We need kitchens. We need we need, the, we need the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We need capacity here. What are you talking about? Little fish and little loaves. But of course, they were all filled. And they were more than filled. And my friends, I want you to hear this. This is how the power of God works. If you were here a few weeks ago, the word of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, that two fish and that five loaves, 
Seems like a foolish thing, but I've seen God use it. And I've seen God take that and do something magnificent with it. That's what Paul goes on to say. I think Paul might be reflecting on these kinds of things. He's like, look, this age, the wisdom of the world would say this is foolish, but look, God has taken the foolish things in the world to bring to nothing the things of the wise. He goes on in that passage. This is 1 Corinthians one twenty two. He says, you know, the Jews, they all demand a sign, right? They want something big. You know, you want to impress people. You need the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You need kitchens. You need money. You need popularity. You need a military. You need political power. You know, the Greeks demand wisdom. You know, you, you got to get in people's minds. You need to write a popular song. You need to write, create a movie. You got to write a best-selling book. That's the stuff that works. That's the stuff that changes things. That's the stuff that really turns the world. Those are the powerful things that turn things upside down. But then Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. The way of Christ, that's all we have. And then if you were here, you know, a stumbling block to the Jews. They think it's, you know, if you remember this, they think it's a scandal and folly, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, to those who've actually tasted Jesus, both Jew and Greek, everybody, it's the power of God. The cross of Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. You know, as I mentioned that sermon, you know, the, the wisdom of this age, it says, blessed is the big thing, the rich person, the powerful person. But the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of Jesus says, blessed are the poor, actually doing something in the poor that is blessed. The wisdom of this age says, market yourself, right? Put yourself out there. That's how you get attention. The wisdom of God says, no, humble yourself. Let God exalt you. The wisdom of this age says, you know, when you're young, you need as many sexual partners as you can get. That's where true sexual fulfillment is found. Go out, have fun, be foolish, hook up. But the wisdom of God says, no, Actual sexual fulfillment is only found in lifelong self-sacrificing love. The powers of this world says put others down so you can be built up. But Jesus says serve others. Put yourself down and bring others up. And of course, in the time of Jesus, as I said a few weeks ago, the powers of the world said, and they certainly said this in the Roman Empire, put people on crosses. You know how the Roman emperors ruled? If anybody crossed them, they would crucify. I mean, there's, town, there's, there's tales of Roman empires that would go into towns and one person disrespected them and they would crucify the entire town. You want to talk about fear? You want to talk about dominating? You want to talk about power? That's the way they thought they would hold on to authority, kill everybody that gets in your way. That's how you show you're strong. But what does Jesus say? What is the wisdom of our Lord? What is the wisdom of our emperor? He put himself on a cross. It's the opposite. It's upside down. It's so strange. It's so small. It's so different. Don't you see what the gospel does? It's so different than the wisdom of this age. That's on display in this story. Here, Jesus. <laughs> What a joke. But I think they get it. They get it. We don't need kitchens. We don't need, you know, Amazon's 
shipping power to pull this off. Jesus takes the small things, the foolish things, the things that seem like they're nothing, and he makes them glorious. That's actually where the wisdom is. That's actually where the power is. I hope you're getting this. You know, today I, I talked to a guy. I met with this guy today. And we got to, I hung out with this guy a lot in 2020, the year 2020. And I haven't hung out with him much since then. And we caught up today and it was great to be with him. And I said, how you doing? And he said, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna be honest with you, Jason. 2021 and 2022 were the absolute worst years of my entire life. And he told me all these things of how they were so hard and how they were so bad. And he said, but I finally got to the place where I can say with Job, (laughs) though he slay me, I will worship him. Though he slay me, I will worship him. He was like, the last time we hung out, I had a faith that said, I will worship God so he will give me treasure. He's like, but now I have a faith that says, God is my treasure. God is my source. God is my light. And, and, and if I have him, I got everything. Don't you see? This guy gets it now. And it was the painful thing. The, the weird thing, the small thing, the upside down thing, the thing that nobody wanted. That was actually where the power was. That was actually where the wisdom was. I mean, think about this event. If there had been kitchens, this doesn't appear in every one of the gospels. No, it, the reason this event turned everybody upside down is because it was so small. It was so, and that's what changed their entire life. Look, I wanted to say this to you. I want you to taste this when you're young. I mean, I'm glad you're coming to this young adult ministry. The guy I was talking to you today, he's old like I am. And, and God was just his genie. For, he wasted half of his life not really drinking from the, the true fountain, the true fountain of love that is the Lord. Taste this. Swallow this when you're young. And if you will, you'll be able to run into hardship. You'll be able to run into pain. I'm not saying you, you know, become, you know, you, you pursue those things, but you'll be able to run into, you'll be able to face all these situations and look to the Lord and see that he is at work. And see, it's actually this, this weird and unwise and foolish thing that I would not choose that is the wisdom and the power of God. God is redeeming this and God is renewing this. I want you to taste that. I want you to see it so that you can truly be satisfied. Think about that. If you're only satisfied when everything is going your way, how strong are you really? But Jesus offers you something so much more. He says, look, I have something that has overcome the world. (laughs) I can overcome everything. The foolishness of the world is the wisdom of God, the the power of the cross. I hope that you see this. I hope that you, again, taste and swallow this tonight. Let me pray. (sighs) 
Father, help us to learn from Matthew 14. What an interesting story. Probably a lot of us have heard about it from when we were kids. And, um, you know, we know it's about Jesus doing something amazing. But maybe we've missed all this time <laughs> the actual amazing thing that he did and the actual faith that it took of the disciples to even bring the food to him, to see how he would work. And Father, maybe just like that, we're missing right now something that you're actually doing in our lives. It's the thing that we don't like that you're actually using right now to sanctify us, to make us holy. It's the person that we don't like that you're actually using right now to provide for us. It's the situation that we found ourselves in that we that we're ashamed of, that, Lord, you're actually using to humble us, to lead us to dependence on you and not on temporary and worldly short-term things. Give us the wisdom of the cross tonight, the worst thing that's ever happened, the most humiliating, lowest, most despised thing that's ever happened. And yet, through it, Jesus has been given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that he is the Lord. He is the power. He is the wisdom. And Lord, it's by the cross, by the way of the cross, that we in Christ will one day with him also be exalted and will be raised. Give us that kind of faith. Give us cross-shaped faith tonight, Lord, so that in Christ we might experience the power of the resurrection. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.